Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We talked with Eric Edholm from NFL Media earlier today. We got into the Patriots, the mess that has become the 2023 season. Plus, whether or not Bill Belichick will have suitors in the offseason if the Patriots decide to move on from Bill. Also, Eric covers the draft for NFL Media, so we got an early look at Caleb Williams and Drake May. Is Williams this can't-miss prospect like Andrew Luck? like Trevor Lawrence. Also, is Drake May that close to Caleb Williams? Has he closed the gap? Because right now, the Patriots sit there with the top three pick. In all likelihood, it's going to be a quarterback. So we got into all that, an early look at the draft with Eric Edholm from NFL Media, because the Patriots right now, they need a savior at the quarterback position. So I wanted to get out in front of this early. So I had a nice conversation with Eric about that. We'll also get into some Bs, because They're in a rut right now. After losing three straight, they lost to Columbus on Monday night, who stinks. So we'll get into the Bs a little later on. But where we start, we're recording right now at 10.58. Where else could we possibly start? The in-season tournament, baby. What a major win for the NBA. This was awesome. I can't remember the last time I've had this much fun on an NBA regular season night. Like, there have been performances, right? When Tatum puts up 50 points or whatever. There's been crazy games and all that. 
Maybe like when the Warriors broke the Bulls record, that was awesome. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I've ever had this much fun watching an NBA regular season night. There's been nothing like this. And I was worried. I actually tweeted out when Joe Mazzulla took out the main guys, I tweeted out, don't pull them yet with like seven exclamation marks. And then the Bulls scored a couple of buckets and I tweeted, put them back in. Now, luckily, the Celtics covered the margin. And as you all know that you're listening to this now, the Celtics are going to play the Pacers in the next round. But I was worried there for a second because the Bulls were trying to creep back into this game. And then all my attention after this game ended for the Celtics, I throw on League Pass on my computer and I turn on the Nets game. So I'm live tweeting during that. The Raptors went hack a Claxton. And then, because remember, the Celtics were not going to win the wild card tiebreaker. The Knicks were going to win that, right? So the Celtics were not going to win that. So essentially what they needed to happen is the Nets had to beat the Raptors. And so they go hack a Claxton, does Toronto. He hits the first one, and then he misses the second. And then Scotty Barnes somehow gets a layup opportunity at the other side. He doesn't hit it, but he's fouled. This is after a missed free throw. So I tweeted, how do you give up a shot at the basket like that after a mixed free throw? Pick it up, Nets. Let's go. We need the Nets to pick it up. I was was worried, like, are the Nets really going to blow this game? But the next time down, Royce O'Neal cans a three. He puts the Nets up 106 to 100 with about a minute to go. And the game was basically over at that particular point in time. I tweeted out Royce with a bunch of exclamation marks. But even then, I was a little bit worried because then the Nets started scoring more. And they were, you could see, they were saying like, let's go, let's go. Like, we got to get more points because they were trying to win the bracket that the Celtics are in. And they they needed like six points in the last five seconds. So it wasn't going to happen. But man, that, (laughs) that was an absolutely epic night. Very entertaining. I tweeted out too that the NBA needs to do like a red zone channel for this next year. I also tweeted out at one point, we need Scott Hansen. I guess somebody tweeted me there was one on the NBA app, okay? I flipped over to NBA TV on one of my TVs to see if it was on there, and there was this like Philadelphia 76ers documentary from about the 2001 team that lost to the Lakers. So I am not the biggest fan of the NBA app for not the easiest it's not the best app in the world I have league pass on my computer that's fine but I didn't know this right until I see a tweet later on tonight so next year I guess I'll know I have to go to the app but I don't understand why I guess they're trying to promote the app I would just put it on NBA TV why the fuck do you need a documentary about the 01 Sixers on during all this like to me that makes no sense whatsoever because and like Scott Hanson that would be awesome if he's just going back and forth with all the games I think they should think about that next year I know they get their own people at NBA TV but I think that would be absolutely epic if they had Scott Hanson doing this I bet he'd do it too I mean that that'd be a lot of fun and then the other portion that was so fun in this game for the Celtics not the Nets game obviously is you had Hacka Drummond Celtics are up like 30 points in the fourth quarter and they're going Hacka Drummond like, if this was a normal game, we saw it earlier this season in games against Washington and Indiana. That Indiana game, by the way, no Halliburton, obviously a big part of their team, one of the best players in the league this year. But they would have been out of the game in the fourth quarter. This fourth quarter, and this is another thing that you made a Tuesday night, an average Tuesday night in the NBA, super interesting because we're watching the point differential. We're watching these other games, and we want to see if the Celtics can continue to pile up these points. So you're doing hack a drum and up 30 points. And then you have Joe Missoula having to have this conversation with Billy Donovan on explaining to him what the point differential was. Now, after the game, Joe Missoula in his press conference said he apologized to Andre Drummond and he was just explaining everything to Billy Donovan. Like Billy Donovan was not mad about this. He was just 
trying to figure out like, hey, what's the points? What are you going for here? So they just had to have a conversation about it. And I do like Joe said he felt bad for Andre Drummond, but this is the thing that the league decided to do. So they went for it. So I totally I thought that was awesome. I thought it was hilarious that they were having that conversation. I felt bad for Billy Donovan. Not that I believe he's a good coach, but that his team stinks and they've quit on him this season. And he's talking to another coach about, hey, how, how badly are you going to try to beat me? So, by the way, he's got to coach Zach Levine, too. What a loser that guy is. He was one of nine, two points, minus 22. This guy wants a trade. I mean, that was this guy's effort was unprofessional. If I'm Chicago, you got to trade those guys now because the value for Zach Levine, not that it was high. He's on a bad contract. I would take DeRozan on my team. I Now, he's a flawed player, doesn't shoot the three enough for my liking, but at least he's out there. He's giving you effort. He's trying. Zach Levine doesn't do shit. He wasn't trying at all in this game. I would want no part of that guy. Now, like new scenery, I get all that, but what at best, he's the third option. All the guy does is shoot. He doesn't try on defense. He doesn't play make. I want no part of that guy whatsoever. But anyway, this isn't a Bulls podcast. But I'm excited now that the Celtics get the Pacers next week in the quarterfinals. That game is in Indy, of course. It's going to be wild. The Pacers haven't had relevant basketball games since what? The Celtics swept them in, what was that, the 1920 season or the ni- or the 18-19 season? Whatever it was, Kyrie Irving's final season here. Remember when it was it was a terrible series and the Pacers, they had no hopes of winning that series, but... The point being is they haven't had relevant basketball for a while, and they used to have great crowds when Paul George, and I'm no going all the way back to Reggie Miller, but even recently with the Paul George teams, when they were going up against the Heat, they had those rivalries. So they're going to be pumped up for this in Indiana. It's going to be a hostile environment for the Celtics. I think this is going to be awesome. We all know that's a great basketball state, so I can't wait for that game coming up next week. And this time, Halliburton's going to be there, and Halliburton, I heard, I forget who said this. I can't remember. It might have been Tim Bontemps, who we've had on the pod a bunch. Like, Halliburton's never played on TNT. He never played on TNT. So finally, he's going to get that opportunity next week. And he's been awesome this season. 11.9 assists per game, most in the NBA. Shooting 45.6% on threes. He's been incredible. They outscore teams by 15.4 points per 100 possessions on offense. with, Or I should say, their offense is 15.4 points better per 100 with him on the floor in the 98th percentile via cleaning the glass. He's an awesome player that not a lot of people get to watch on even a weekly basis. And this is going to be an opportunity for him. Now, obviously, we want the Celtics to win, but this is cool. This is one of the young stars in the NBA, one of the best offensive players in the NBA. And you get to go up against him when you have arguably the best team in the NBA, in my mind, the best team in the NBA. Now, the one thing is, as we saw in the first game, Halliburton is not going to make a major impact on the defensive end. This is a terrible defensive team. Indiana is. They are 29th in defensive rating. So I'm excited for this one. Who knows? It's a one-off. But I will say this. If you watch the way the Celtics approach this game tonight, they're going to be up for this game. And I think Drew will take on the challenge. Derek White will take on the challenge. Heck, Tatum may get him at certain times in the game. Like the Celtics are going to be fired up for this game. That's another thing that I would give the NBA credit for. The players legitimately care. We saw it, Orlando doing it, right? Like Orlando was trying to run up the score on Friday afternoon against the Celtics because of the point differential situation. So I thought this was awesome. I cannot wait for next week. That was a ton of fun. And Porzingis, now I'm not saying rush him back. He could be back for that one. He was on the broadcast tonight and he said essentially that he doesn't think it'll be next game, but he could be the one after that. So he could have Porzingis back for the in-season tournament as well, which would obviously certainly help the Celtics. And by the way, I would just like to thank the Chicago Bulls. When you need to basically 
pass a team that has a plus 22 point differential in the Orlando Magic, nobody better to play than the Chicago Bulls, who, first of all, they stink in general, and they don't try. So this is the perfect team to play. They have all sorts of issues. Coming into tonight against top 10 teams in point differential, this is via cleaning the glass, they were 0-5. They, had, they were 25th in offensive rating against those teams. On the season, they were 28th in offensive rating, 21st in defensive rating. And here was the big one. They were in a situation where they were 29th in giving up threes. They were giving up 14.7 made threes per game. Chicago was 29th. If you want to blow out a team, you need to hit a lot of threes. And the Celtics took advantage of the scouting report. They hit eight in the first quarter. They hit 21 overall. The Celtics' final number is 21 of 49 from deep. That's 42.9%. The Suns lead the league at 39.3%. So they were almost three full percentage points better than the team's best three-point shooting team from an accuracy perspective. And the 21 makes, Dallas is number one at 15.9. The Celtics hit 21. Unbelievable. They also shot, what, 52.2% from the floor. The Pacers, who we'll see next week, They lead the league at 50.2, so you're two percentage points better than the league's best shooting team. And on two-pointers, they were 26 of 41, 63.4%. Indiana leads the league at 58.6 there. Celtics at 63.4%. So this was the perfect team for the Celtics to play. And another big development in this game, and I'm not saying you can take anything away from this Bulls game in terms of what they actually did on the floor. I'm just saying it's the perfect opponent. The Celtics were up for it in terms of blowing them out. And they actually won the third quarter, 28 to 18. Remember, we were talking about the other day, the Celtics, for whatever reason, they've been bad in the third quarter. They certainly weren't in this game tonight. The Celtics were 29th in offensive rating coming into this one in the third quarter, and they were awesome in this game tonight. Now, the offense, 28 points, is not great for the Celtics, but the fact that he won the quarter by 10 points was huge because you couldn't step off the gas in that third quarter. Really, you couldn't step off the gas in the fourth quarter. I thought Derek White and Drew Holiday really set a tone. Jalen was great, too. I'll get to him in a second. How about this for your backcourt? You get Drew Holiday back after he missed two games with the ankle situation. The first half, your two guards, 21 points. They were 8 for 8 from the field. They were 5 of 5 from deep, and they had 12 combined assists. 21 points, 12 assists, and they didn't miss a shot. Unreal. Drew finished the game. This I, I keep saying this, and I know I'll probably say it a million times this season. I can't believe these guys play together. Like having Drew Holiday and Derek White in the same backcourt, it's going to be the gift that keeps on giving all season long for the Celtics. Drew finishes with 14-9-7, and seven, hit four of his five threes, which was huge. Because earlier today, I tweeted out, and this is via cleaning the glass, Drew's numbers at the glass have not been good at the rim. 25 of 45, 56.8%, 33rd percentile. Last year, that was at 68.9%, 87th percentile. So he's had some trouble finishing, but the bigger thing, the three-point shooting, if you go to last year, he was at 38.4%. Coming into tonight's game, he was at 33.8%. So I also added to the tweet that he's been an elite three-point shooter the past three seasons, so I expect that number to perk up. Last three years, 39.2%, 41%, and then 38.4%. So it's just a matter of time. He's been an elite shooter for multiple years now until the three-pointer started going down, and it certainly did tonight. I will monitor the finishing. This is something that Jalen struggled with too this season. He was only one of two in the restricted area, but nice to see him and his shooting back. Nice to see the effort that he brings in the defensive end as well. So a nice Drew game. Getting him back is awesome. And then Derek White, I thought at times he just dominated this game. He finished with 14 points, 
seven assists and two steals. He was five of seven from the floor. But there was a stretch where he just took over in the second quarter, right? Where now early in the game, he found Drew for a wide open three, got Drew going. But this is all in the second quarter. He's out on the court. He drives. He gets Hauser a wide open three. Hauser misses the three, but that's good process, right? You're finding the open shooter. Next possession down the court, he gets Cornette a layup on the pick and roll where two guys go with him, immediately throws it to Cornette. Cornette gets an easy opportunity at the bucket. Then he drove by Caruso, where Caruso, who's a great defensive player, closed out too hard because of Derek White's shooting. He then got Cornette a dunk because the help had to come over for Derek White. Then the next time down the court, he sees that Jason Tatum is now back in the game. He had come back into the game and... The guy covering Derek White was Javon Carter, who's diminutive in stature. So what does Derek White do? He tells Tatum to come screen for him. So then Tatum can get the mismatch and Tatum gets an easy opportunity because Carter switches on to Tatum. Tatum's got like eight inches on the guy, hits a shot over him to make it 37 to 23. And then after that, he went to set a screen for Tatum and he knew they were going to blitz Tatum. So he just slipped the screen and then he got an easy opportunity at the bucket. That all came in the second quarter. And then he drove, he got Hauser in open three again. They missed that one, but they got a putback on it, right? So th- those all happened. Like, there's like five out of seven plays where Derek White made things happen offensively. Later on, he had a floater off a Cornette screen. He canned an open three, canned another open three. He found Jalen on a nice cut where it was like a touch pass where Jalen just cut like into the lane. He threw it over one defender. It landed in front of another one. And then Jalen put it in. Just a really nice pass. He had a nice floater, which was, should have been an and one. His floater game is back, which was unbelievable when he was in San Antonio. Then he got a steal. And then at the yeah, this is another thing he did in the fourth quarter. He gets a steal. He runs the break, gets Jason Tatum a dunk, makes it 102-75. Then he steals the inbound. Now, the Celtics end up missing the shot, but they get a put back there to make it 104-75. So he just stole, literally stole four points. He stole the ball on the other end, got Tatum the opportunity. Then he steals it, and he gets an opportunity for the offensive rebound. So he was just awesome in this game. And I just keep thinking about it. You think about what Derek White does with this team. He is their best organizer. He is their best connector. And the numbers bear that out. On the season, the Celtics, 26.7 assists. Per 100 possessions with White on the court, that would rank eighth in the NBA. To say, oh, that's not that great, Brian. Yeah, but it's still pretty good. It's top 10, right? Well, with Derek White off the floor, the Celtics averaged 21.7 assists per 100 possessions. That would rank last. So they go from the eighth best team in terms of assists per 100 all the way to the worst team in the NBA when Derek White's off the court. And I just feel like they should play through him more. He makes all the right decisions. I, re- I remember going back to the Heat game. In the playoffs, Game 7, Jason Tatum's dealing with the ankle injury. They start playing through Derek White, and he was awesome in that game. So I think Derek White needs more opportunities. You look at the usage rate, it's just 17.6%, which is slightly lower than last year. He was at 17.7. So not that it's a big dip off, but I just feel like he's last among the regulars, right? Obviously, he's going to be behind Tatum and Jalen, but he's also behind, and obviously, Porzingis. He's behind Drew, too. I just think that his usage rate needs to go up because he just makes the right decisions. As a point guard, the Celtics are outscoring teams by 14.4 points per 100 with him running the show. So I just want more Derek White running the show because I feel like he makes all the right plays. All right, so I also thought also it was a great Jalen game. He was awesome. And a couple of things stick out to me about this one. And like I said, it's one game against the Bulls, but we saw Jalen Brown doing 
what got him $300 million, right? Because what got him $3 million, or $300 million, I should say, what got Jalen $300 million is what he did in the second half of the season, or really post-All-Star break, if you will. So in this game tonight, he's 8 of 11 in the restricted area, 16 points in the paint. So if you look at those eight makes in the restricted area, only Giannis averages more than eight makes per game this year in the restricted area. Jalen was at eight tonight. Jalen is only at 3.5. So you'd like to see him get to the basket more. Post-All-Star break last year, 5.8 makes per game in the restricted area, which was third. This is how he got that money. This is how his numbers went up post-All-Star break. The other thing is this. Jalen really ran the court well. He was at, coming into tonight, 4.1 fast break points per game. And that's six in the NBA. He was at 6.3 last year, which was first after the All-Star break. So 4.1 so far this year, 6.3 last year post-All-Star break. Again, this is what I come back to. This is how we got paid, running the floor, getting to the rim. And the transition points. Now, Scal said on the broadcast tonight, he wants Jalen to get anywhere between 12 and 14 transition points per game. I mean, that, that is just an absurd comment by Scal. <laughs> I understand the point he's trying to make. He wants Jalen to run the floor more. Donovan Mitchell leads the NBA 8.3 transition points per game. Okay, he wants Jalen to get 12 to 14. I mean, come on. So at least four more points than Donovan Mitchell's averaging as the guy that's number one in the NBA in transition points per game. Jalen, by the way, is fourth at 6.9. I agree that that number can go up to maybe seven and a half, but it can't go up to 12 to 14. I get Scal's point, but a little crazy there. The other thing I would say is just, this team can do a better job running, right? Which would help Jalen. The one thing that the Celtics don't do, and obviously not a concern in this game, he just won by 30 points or whatever, but the Celtics, their opponents only average 12.4, uh, 12.5 rather turnovers per game. That's 28th in the NBA. So they don't turn you over at all. They average just 6.4 steals, which is 27th. So those are opportunities that you would have to run if you force turnovers. The Celtics have tried to in incorporate that press and whatnot, but they still, they don't cause a lot of turnovers, right? So if you look at it on the season, the Celtics are just 18th in fast break points per game at 13.2, and they're just 22nd in points off of turnovers at 15.6 because they don't force them. So I think one thing that would help Jalen with the fast break numbers, the transition numbers, and more baskets in the restricted area would be if this team can just get out and run more. So that's something I hope they can do. As I always say with Jalen, he's in the top 1% of NBA athletes who are the best athletes in the world. So if you can get out and run, go ahead and do it. He finishes with 38 and six. So I hope they can do this more, get him on the break because he is a really important guy early in games in the first quarter. He's always been a great first quarter scorer. And we saw that in this game tonight. I think he's becoming better as a playmaker. The six assists I mentioned tonight, he had an eight assist game, what, three games ago? So it's early. I'm not saying the playmaking has significantly improved, but you can tell that he's trying to do it more because Jalen, that's been one of the issues throughout his career. He has not been a great playmaker and he has a, a propensity to turn the basketball over. You can tell that he's trying to incorporate that into his game. And this is what we talk about with Jalen. He's got to find ways to fit in and do things better than he did last season or do things differently, right? Because you have so many other options. So the playmaking, especially the two-man game with Porzingis, I hope that helps Jalen in terms of his assist to turnover ratio. But a couple of big assist games lately for Jalen, which he had a really good game. I mean, you think about some of the plays, the hard drive with the lefty finish, hard drive past DeRozan gets an and one, and he had a fadeaway over when he got white on him, mismatch in terms of the size. Drove past Craig, got an easy bus, uh, bucket transition layup late in the game to make it 118-84, trying to run up the score. You love that. 
So I thought Jalen was awesome in this game tonight and encouraging to see him get out on the break. I don't want to overreact to one game just because it was, as we keep mentioning with this team, it was Chicago, but that's the type of game you want to see from Jalen. Running, putting pressure on the defense, and getting to the basket. That's what made him great last year post-All-Star break. Get back to that version of yourself. Okay, Al was awesome again. 16 points, 9 boards, 6 assists. He had 4 of his 6 threes. So before tonight, the last 6 games, Al's been on a heater. So on the season, or the last 6 games coming into tonight, 28.2 minutes, 48.7% from the floor, 39.3% from 3-point territory. And again, tonight he had 4 of 6. 8.3 points, 7.2 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 1.3 blocks. If you do that per 36, he's at 10.6, 9.1 rebounds, 4.0 assists, and 1.7 blocks. So we've seen Al has been really effective, and I think not starting. Obviously, he's starting right now because of the Kristaps situation, but his minutes this year entering this game tonight have gone from 30.5 last year to 25.1. And you can tell he looks way more active. So I think it's smart to keep him coming off the bench once, of course, you get Porzingis back. Obviously, they're going to do that. But I certainly think that Al looks fresher. And Al looks awesome. I was a little bit worried at the beginning of the season. He looks awesome right now. Hand and open three early in the game to make it 10-5. Patrick Williams, who that guy just stinks. He tried to take Al on an ISO. Al just like blocked it back in his face. He's like, dude, first of all, you don't score to begin with. You're going to try to score on me. I'm just going to block this right back in your face. Hit a... Mid-ranger hit a wing three off a Tatum screen. He found Jalen in transition. Like, Al caught the ball in transition as the five-man, dribbled to the free-throw line, and then found Jalen Brown. This is just things you don't expect from your center. Like, I mean, I know, like, Jokic and stuff do this, but your 37-year-old center is making plays. So, Al, this is a great sign for this team that he's been awesome lately. I didn't even think, I didn't think it was a good Tatum game. I don't know why I said I didn't even think it was. It's just, you look up at the line, it's 21-7-4 plus 18. Overall, he had some careless turnovers in this game. But I will say we saw him using his physicality a little bit. He spun around Craig, got an and one there. He had a jumper over Craig. He drove by Caruso, got to the line, hit both of those free throws. I thought one big thing is like from an impact perspective, he screened Al's guy and both guys stayed with Tatum and Al got a wide open three. He also, just his gravity can get guys open opportunities. He created a wide open three for Al later on in the game as well. So even when he doesn't really play well for his standard, I thought he did have an impact on the game. By the way, one thing that surprised me was Banton came into the game before Pritchard in the first. Now, Pritchard did come in shortly after that, but Pritchard was awesome in this game. He hit three threes. I just don't understand the Banton thing. I don't really understand what he brings to the table. He can't shoot at all. I know he had a three tonight, but overall, he's just not a good shooter. And Pritchard's been awesome. Hit a deep three, hit a wing three. He did reject a Tatum screen, and he took a step back three that he missed. I'm like, okay. I know you're feeling yourself right now. You don't reject a Jason Tatum screen, because what that means is Jason Tatum is going to get your defender a smaller defender on him. Don't do that. You don't reject that screen. If Tatum wants to reject a screen... If Jalen wants to reject a screen, those guys can do that. Peyton Pritchard cannot do that. So I thought that was kind of funny. It does tell you that he's confident, but had a hard drive, lefty scoop shot to make it 87-59. Overall, I thought he was awesome in this game. He had five rebounds, five rebounds in this game, which is, you love to see that. And he's been really good from a rebounding perspective all season long. So I thought it was another good Pritchard game. I just, I don't understand the fixation with Banton. Like, you have a bunch of guys that you signed, the Brissettes, the Lamar Stevens. Why is Banton playing? I, I don't understand that one. I just, I don't think he's a good player. I, I, I don't understand why he's in there. I certainly don't understand why he's coming into the first quarter before Pritchard. Now I sound like 
to like sports talk radio e like you won by 30 okay but I, I don't get the band thing i'll put it out there by the way i did want to mention this because the point differential thing i thought it made tonight incredibly entertaining i know that players around the league not everybody is happy about it especially or i should say locally jason tatum so tatum said the other day the point differential thing i'm not the biggest fan of it it's all about respecting the game and respecting your opponents so that part i'm not a fan of so i will say like the celtics tatum in that magic loss he still played 11 14 in that fourth quarter and the celtics were still outscored 36 to 22 the biggest difference there like the point differential the magic were motivated to go after that didn't feel like in that game the celtics were like they kept their guys out there but they weren't playing with that same energy like the Magic, and we saw tonight, the Celtics play with all this energy. The Bulls couldn't give a shit. They put in their subs. But the Celtics also in that game, they were outscored by 11. So that's part of the reason they had to put up all 11 in the third, I should say. That's part of the reason they had to put up all these points. So I understand Tatum's point because midway through the fourth quarter, really like four minutes or so left, I should say, that game against the Magic is over. Ordinarily, they pull out their starters. Then the Celtics would have pulled out their starters or... The Celtics wave the white flag, they pull out their starters, and then the Magic follow suit. And remember, this was a whole thing earlier this season when the Celtics didn't pull their guys early against the Raptors. The Raptors did. I thought the Tatum and Jalen played too many minutes in that game because of that. And then you had the whole thing with Dennis Schroeder and Joe Mazzulla because they were mad that Joe Mazzulla made the challenge. But the point being with that is that's ordinarily how the NBA works is hey, when it's a blowout, you pull your guys, right? And some teams, like the Bulls had issues against the Raptors, like DeMar DeRozan was mad about this when they kept playing their guys. But I just don't know what the solution is. If you're going to stay with the same format, we have the four teams that make it out of the East, the four teams that make it out of the Western Conference. I just don't know what the solution is. Like, you had all these teams in the Celtics bracket finish three and one. The Nets beat the Magic. The Magic beat the Celtics. The Celtics beat the Nets. So what do you do? Like, what's the other tiebreaker? I totally understand where Jason Tatum's coming from with this. And I understand why players think it's weird. And we'll see, like, if the NBA makes some sort of change. But I just don't know if the head-to-head isn't there anymore, right? Because these teams all beat each other. I just don't know what you do. I mean, I, I don't see what the alternative is. Like, you don't go back to what, do you go back to what your overall record is? Because if you do that, then it just takes away from the in-season tournament sort of being its own entity. So I just don't think there is a solution for it. I understand what he's saying. Like, you feel bad for players. I think eventually the way that this thing would sort of end poorly, the in-season tournament, the point differential thing, is if like a star player gets hurt when his team's up 30 or a player gets hurt when his team's down 30, right? Or it's like, it's a 15-point game, but you're playing for point differential. That's where I think you'd have some controversy. But right now, I just... I don't know what the solution is. I do think that there needs to be, and as I said, I missed the whole crunch time thing on the NBA app. I thought hopefully they'd have some on NBA TV. I would suggest too, they put it on NBA TV as well as next year as well. But the one thing that I'll say is they need to have like on the site, a tracker, right? Where it's not just like you can go on ESPN, CBS, NBA.com, all the Yahoo, everything, and you can see like the score of the games. But what they need to do during this in-season tournament thing is they have to have the differential going up. Like they should have had basically on the NBA page. And if they had it I and I missed it, I apologize, but I didn't see it. I was on basically every website out there trying to figure out if somebody had it. But basically what you need to have is like the Nets, because NBC Sports Boston did a good point, a good thing during the game at times putting this up. But you basically need to have, and maybe you could just keep that graphic up the whole game next year, but 
Basically, you need to have a website where it just says like plus 22, that's what the magic were, and then you keep updating the Celtics. Oh, plus 21, minus 19, same thing with the Nets. Oh, plus 10, plus 12, plus 14, just so you can monitor it the whole time. That would be my suggestion going forward for the NBA in-season tournament. All right, so that was a ton of fun. Coming up next, Eric Edholm from NFL Media will join us. We'll get into who the Celtics should take in the top three of the draft because that's where we're at right now as a fan base. As the weather gets colder, the NFL offers Stay Hot on FanDuel. Right now, all customers get a no-sweat same-game parlay for every Thursday night football game. Just place a three-leg same-game parlay, and you'll get bonus bets back if you don't win. And I'm looking at this Cowboys-Seahawks game. I cooked up a plus-228 same-game parlay. I like the Cowboys on the money line. I actually think Dallas is being slightly underrated this season based on what they've accomplished. I like CeeDee Lamb, receiving line alternate of 60 yards. The Cowboys to go over 27 and a half points and DK Metcalf, an alternate line of 40 receiving yards because Seattle is going to be down in this game and try to throw itself back into it. So that's plus 228. So the reason I like that 27 and a half, the Seahawks are giving up 230 passing yards per game. That's 22nd. They're 22nd in scoring defense. They're 24th in points per drive. And the three best offenses they've played, Detroit scored 31, Baltimore scored 37, And the Niners just hung 31 on them on Thanksgiving night. And that could have been worse if the game wasn't so out of hand. So I really like that as a plus 228 same game parlay. NFL same game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. Build your own or choose from one of the popular SGPs pre-built for you in FanDuel's top rated sportsbook app. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Pike for your chance to get a no sweat same game parlay every Thursday. FanDuel, official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Max refund $5 unless otherwise specified. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from NFL Media, it is Eric Edholm. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I survived Thanksgiving, got Christmas coming up. I'm, uh, you know, with young kids and football season, it's a little hectic, but doing our best, man. How about you? Treading along, man. We are in the middle of a terrible Patriots season where we're in this bubble, right? They're two and nine. Yeah. The further Tom Brady is removed from the organization, the worse it looks for Bill Belichick. Yeah. His drafting has been downright atrocious. Basically, his entire 2022 draft is gone besides Cole Strange and Marcus Jones, who is essentially nothing more than a return man, and he's on IR for the season. They recently got rid of Jack Jones after they stuck by him during the offseason for his legal issues. But so for us, this has been really bad. Like we're in this Patriots bubble. But I'm wondering from people around the league, like what do people think of the Patriots right now? Do they just think that Belichick is essentially done as a GM slash coach? Has he lost it? Is that what people think? I mean, I think, well, first of all, the shocking thing to me has been that nobody cares. I mean, I, I, I don't mean it like that. I mean, of course people care, but this... The idea of Bill Belichick even three, four years ago uh, being like, I don't want to say, you know, hot seat or whatever, but this thing feels like it's headed towards a divorce, right? I mean, that that concept right there where he didn't sort of choose his own path of exit, and maybe he still can, I don't know, felt pretty wild, right? Even with, you know, the idea that Brady, you know, was was heading towards free agency in 2019 or whatever year it was, you know, but... Man, I think that the general consensus has been that, you know, Bill's Midas touch is gone, that a lot of the success can be credited to Brady. But I think you hit on an important point. You know, 
a lot of people asking this week, hey, who actually drafted Mac Jones? I mean, it really does bring it back to the organizational structure and why the the bill model is, I don't want to say outdated, but it's not one a lot of people use where the head coach is the final say on personnel matters. You know, uh, there's probably a lot of head coaches who have more sway than others, but I think it, it, it certainly have to look at the draft classes to say this roster is really bad right now. It's it's quarterback, sure, but it's also receiver. It's offensive line. It's now the secondary with all the injuries. It's other spots. You know, I mean, they just – it really does come back to the, the roster decisions that Bill Belichick, the GM, made, and I think that's going to be the, the root of their problem if you, if you really drill down on it. Yeah, and it's so tough nowadays to do both jobs, especially considering when he was doing both jobs before and they were successful, he had this guy number 12 that was pretty good that could cover up some draft mistakes that they may have. Not to say that Bill didn't have his hits. He had some great drafts in there before this recent stretch that he had, and I think this draft may actually turn out to be good as well. But yeah. the point being is, like, when you have the greatest quarterback of all time, you can have two, three bad drafts or three out of four years have a bad draft just because of Brady. But I just wanted to get your take on this. So if the Pats decide to move on from Bill, which I think is the more likely scenario now, you look at his recent track record. So since Tom left, he's now 27 and 34, 443 winning percentage. That's worse than Chip Kelly as an NFL coach. That's worse than Joe Philbin as an NFL coach and the fact that he's 71. So what type of team, if there is any, would be looking for Bill. And the team that I always bring up is it the Chargers because they're just desperate. They already have the quarterback in place. Like Bill's not going to mess up drafting the quarterback. I, the Washington thing doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, maybe they feel like Howell is their guy long-term, but that to me from a Bill perspective doesn't make a lot of sense either because they're not really close to being a contending type team. But do you think there is a team that makes sense if the Patriots decide to move on from Bill? Like there's a team out there that wants them? Yeah. And I mean, right. I, it's got to make sense for Belichick, you know, at the end of his career, it's obviously got to make sense for the team that's hiring him or, or trading for him or whatever the scenario ends up being in this, this hypothetical here. But yeah, I mean, you have to wonder, I mean, what, you know, what does Bill want to do? Does he want to go somewhere for, for three years, break Shula's record and then ride off into the sunset? Is he, is he handing off to someone? If I were an owner, yeah, I'd be tempted by the idea of Bill, bringing in Bill Belichick, even at age 72 is what he'll be next next season. But I'd want to know what the succession plan is. And if it has, you know, the initials JNC in it, I don't think I'm interested. If it has BOB in it, I don't know that I'm interested after this season, right? Is it is it is he bringing Jared Mayo with him? What What's happening after Belichick is done coaching? Because there will come a day, whether it's this year or five years down the road, where – He's no longer in the NFL. And, you know, the league is year to year, right? Frank Reich just got fired after 10, 11 games. Uh, we've seen first-year firings before. Um, does Washington make sense? You know, maybe geographically, maybe in the sense that uh, you have the quarterback in Howell who's intriguing. Um, I don't know that Bill would have re-signed. Chase Young and, and Montez Sweat to monster deals, maybe one of them. So that that part of it, trading away some of their stars, doesn't negate them for me. But, yeah, I feel like that would be more of a Josh Harris taking over the commanders and saying, we need respectability. We need a face of the franchise, if you will. And Bill's going to help build this thing back up again with, you know, so-and-so as his, his right-hand man, whoever that may be. Um, 
you know, the Chargers certainly make sense. They're a team that obviously is has to contend with Mahomes every year. You know, that that's that's something to deal with. Sean Payton's in the division. He's turned that team around. Um, but the location, the lack of press focus, media focus would be something that I think would appeal to Bill. I don't know what he feels about Southern California, but Herbert is the obvious attraction there. And, you know, just the question of whether they would bring back Tom Telesco or whether he would want to be part of a Bill Belichick franchise. I don't know. Carolina, I mean, you have to throw it out there. David Tepper has been in the league long enough to know that that Bill would sell some tickets. That's certainly part of it. Maybe Bill has insight on Bryce Young that other people don't have and could revive his career. Um, it's a very winnable division. So, you know, that, that would possibly make some sense. But again, there's no like perfect fit, right? I mean, I don't know that people thought that Lombardi going to the Redskins in 73 was a perfect fit either, but it made more sense than any of these options to me. So it's got to be a legacy location, but it's also got to be somewhere where he can win some games. If he's going to stick around, might as well win, right? Yeah, and unless it was like a crate, like a really good team, like the Cowboys decided to move on from Mike McCarthy if they have a bad exit in the playoffs. But I don't know if I could see Bill working for Jerry. Like that would really hurt Kraft because that's sort of like his own arrival, if you will, right? Jerry Jones versus Robert Kraft. But I just can't see him going to the Cowboys working for Jerry, knowing that Jerry had issues with Jimmy Johnson. Jerry had issues with Bill Parcells. Jimmy Johnson at the end. I know he's going into the ring of fame and all that. But right. you get my point is I, I just can't see it working out between those two guys. So I, I'm fascinated to see how it ends up with Bill. But let's assume the Patriots move on from Belichick for the sake of this next question. You mentioned Carolina, that job is already open. I don't think it's very appealing just based on the fact that, hey, they could have the number one pick, but they don't. And the quarterback that went behind Bryce Young is actually playing at a really high level. Like he looks like a top 10 quarterback in the league already. And you think about the rest of them, the Chargers we went through, I don't think their talent is as good as it used to be, but and it's kind of older, the Keenan Allens, et cetera. But they do have Justin Herbert there, an elite level quarterback. That's certainly appealing. You think it's about some of these other ones. The Bears, to me, is like the most appealing job if they move on from Eberflus, just because you do have the number one pick. You're going to have another top yeah. 10 pick. And if you want to take one of the quarterbacks at the top, which I think they will, you could probably get something for Justin Fields, like another team that doesn't get into that top five-ish. Maybe they say, hey, let's take a shot on Justin Fields. So when I look around the league, like in terms of, and then I look at the Patriots where I say, okay, the roster is not that good, but you're probably going to have a top three pick. So you probably end up with Caleb Williams or Drake May, depending on how the rest of the season goes. So out of the jobs that appear to be open right now, when we're talking about the Chargers, Carolina, the Bears, and I think the Patriots, out of those four, where do you think the Patriots sort of rank in the pecking order? And I'm sure other jobs are going to come open as well, like the Raiders. We don't know if they're going to keep Antonio Pierce. I don't think that's an appealing job based on their quarterback situation. And they're not going to be good enough to get into the territory to get that quarterback that everybody wants. Yeah, I mean, right. It not long ago, it looked like the Giants might be on that list if Dable wasn't going to survive Eberflus in Chicago, although they've, they've played competitively, right? They almost beat the Lions. They certainly, uh, you know, did their best to... To, to, to blow the game against the Vikings, but Eberflus is That was first, a big uh, result for the Patriots, by the way, Eric. Big result. That yes. Now they have four wins. That was huge. I mean, absolutely. You got to eliminate as many of those teams when you're thinking about it. It's crazy because the Patriots haven't been in this position forever. And, you know, but this is this is where you're at. I mean, I grew up in New England thinking about, boy, I, I, 
I, I hope we get Rick Meyer instead of Drew Bledsoe and right that whole conversation that went on for <laughs> felt like six months. But yeah, I mean, kind of back in that spot again. And and I don't know. I mean, I Chicago's interesting, the ownership situation. I always preface uh, coaching questions like this, coaching vacancies with something that an agent told me long ago. He's like, you guys can talk quarterbacks, you can talk salary cap, you can talk roster, you can talk weather, location, all these factors, they, they, they matter. But ownership is ultimately, you know, a big deal. Now, Robert Kraft obviously has a lot of sway around the league. You know, maybe there's some luster removed from, from, from his name based on how the last few seasons have, have worked out. But, you know, I, I would say that that is a big part of it. And I think a lot of people will sympathize with Kraft having to work with Belichick and, you know, all the rigidity that comes with it and all the, you know, the, the awkwardness that might happen behind closed doors. But that alone could, could, could I wouldn't say bump him to the top of the list, but, you know, think about who Kraft's gone after as head coaches before. You know, I mean, you know, big, big fish, right? I mean, I know it has yeah. been a while, but, you know, he kind of likes those types of guys. And so, yeah, I obviously it didn't work out with Parcells, who was hired before he got there, but he got Pete Carroll, he got Bill, Bill Belichick, and I think he might try to take a, a big swing if Mayo isn't the guy. You know, the Bears are, are certainly because their their assets, I guess you'd say, are, are pretty attractive. Um, you know, Chargers, I think a lot of people feel like I could do a better job than than anybody who's been there, but <laughs> Nobody has to this point. So, and watch for Kellen Moore there. Look, I know, you know, an in-house candidate may not be the sexiest thing, but I think that would be a possibility if if they make a move. They get rid of Staley, but they keep more. I've heard some rumblings toward that end. So maybe they're kind of quickly off the market. And again, that just sort of makes the Patriots, by comparison anyway, look a little more appealing. Yeah, and in the hypothetical, if they move on from Bill, I just hope there is a process, right? Like, I hope they interview Ben Johnson, who's one of the better offensive minds in the NFL, because, hey, maybe Gerard Mayo is a great coach, but at least find out, because even if Mayo sure. is the head guy, you're going to need a good offensive coach, because either way, you're going to have a young quarterback in the building next season. So that's certainly an important thing. So you said Big Fish. Who do you think, or like, who would fit that criteria? Would it be like going after a Harbaugh I think about the Celtics like when Ainge hired Brad Stevens it just it was yeah. like whoa they hired Brad Stevens from Butler where so maybe it's a surprise right I mean I'm guessing that Harbaugh stays at Michigan especially after I don't know I don't know maybe the recent controversy makes him more likely to leave but is there like a big is Ben I mean Ben Johnson's probably the biggest name out there right in terms of the head coaching candidates it felt like last year people thought that he was going to get an opportunity but obviously that didn't work out but yeah. Feels like he'd still be the biggest name, right? I'm trying to think like who's the who's the Shanahan guy that nobody's hired yet. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know that there is that one guy. And and wow, Harbaugh, I didn't even think about him to be totally honest. But yeah, I mean that would probably be the biggest realistic college coach as a possibility. I think. I mean, I don't know what what Jim's going to end up doing. I mean. Chargers have been mentioned for him. He once, you know, coached in, in Southern California at USD. Um, you know, he coached up the coast at Stanford. His wife has some connections, so that could be a possibility if he's interested. Uh, you know, we don't know how many jobs are open in the first place, too, but I, I would have a hard time imagining there's anybody else not named Nick Saban who would, who would appease or would please the Patriots fans if they did hire him. And so, yeah, you're probably looking at either – 
a retread NFL head coach, uh, a young up-and-coming assistant, usually a coordinator, often an offensive coordinator. Johnson, I would say, has been the last couple years. I know he had an interview last year. I'm I'm trying to remember who it was with. uh, Blanking, but yeah, I mean, somebody who's sort of been on the radar for a couple years now, I would say, and you know, done nothing to, to, to diminish his, his star value. I mean, granted, the Lions have kind of, you know, dipped a little bit lately, but that's been more defensive reasons. And, I mean, I think Jared Goff has said really good things about him. Dan Campbell believes in Johnson. You know, there's there's some young energy that comes with him that would be totally disparate from what, uh, you know, Bill and his staff have brought. Now, it doesn't translate to wins, but there's a, there are a lot of people who feel like, you know, this guy who kind of came out of nowhere, so to speak, a former tight end coach, you know, might be one of the hottest co- coaching candidates on the market this year. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what they end up doing. And I guess the other name that's out there, like Mike McDonald, is probably a guy that's going to get interviews after what he's done with that Ravens defense, turn them in. Not that they weren't talented, but they look like one of the better units in the NFL. So yeah. I'm just fascinated to see, like, who Bill goes at. It feels like Mayo is just prime, or who Kraft goes after. It feels like Mayo is just primed to get the job. I just... I don't like the whole idea of the Red Sox did this with Hein Bloom a couple of years ago where they're just like, that's our guy. And it's like, eh, maybe you should have talked to more people in hindsight. And I hope Mayo would be a great coach. I'm not saying he wouldn't. I just w- would like sure. to talk to more people. So we know you covered the NFL draft. So I got to ask you about Caleb Williams. So I was looking at some of his numbers under pressure this year. Pro football focus tracks turnover worthy plays. He has the most in college football. But yep. when he's under pressure, that is. But he still has the second highest passer rating when he's under pressure behind only Jaden Daniels from LSU. And some people have pointed out that, hey, maybe some of those pressures are on him, like he's hanging on to the ball. I would argue like, hey, maybe he's just trying to create plays because it's not the same team that he had a year ago. But it felt like coming into the season, he was sort of in that Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence realm where it's 100%. He's the number one guy. I remember right. when Andrew Luck was coming out, it's like, oh, he's the cleanest prospect since Peyton Manning. And then Trevor Lawrence, he's the best prospect since Andrew Luck. Do you think Caleb Williams is still that can't miss number one guy where if a team doesn't take him with the first overall pick, it's going to be royally criticized? I I don't think we're at that point. And you're right. I mean, obviously he was off. And I do have to preface this by saying I, I you know, for underclassmen, just because of, you know, working for NFL media, I can't say, hey, he projects to be this you know, spot of the draft or anything, but wink, wink, nod, nod. We all, we all know anybody who follows the NFL draft knows all about Caleb and and Drake May and whatnot. So I don't think I'm telling anyone, anybody, uh, anything they don't already know. So yeah, with Williams, I mean, now granted, a lot of that was sort of unreal hype. I probably contributed to it because I remember seeing his first college throw, you know, he comes off the bench cold at Oklahoma replaces Spencer Rattler, who, by the way, sat in that same perch at one point, right? Like the the freaky yeah. Mahomes sort of clone, right? Where what's what's he gonna be? We don't know. I don't I wouldn't say day three pick at the best. So uh, this does happen, right? Where we inflate guys to a level out of hope, out of you know, a desire, whatever you want to say, to be the next great thing, the next whatever, or the the first this. And Boy, there there are some special traits in his game, and you know he'll make you sit up in your seat when you're watching him. But he'll also, this year especially, I think he's developed some bad habits, like you mentioned, hanging on to the ball, you know, the, trying to force balls into tight windows. The separation hasn't been the same. Uh, I felt like they abandoned their their any kind of pass protection schemes that help the quarterback because. 
you know, he's under duress or, you know, a lot of these sort of half field reads that cut down the field a little bit and don't give him an option to, to make plays elsewhere. So there've been some things that have worked against him. He's also had some, some really big numbers. And when you have a defense that gives up as many points as, as USC does, I mean, look, you kind of have to play that way, right? You have to play a little bit magician. I mean, look at what Mahomes did at Texas Tech. We criticized them for, for higher interceptions and things like that. But they were losing games 49-42 every single week. What do you want them to do, play safe? I mean, you know, so some of this is a style thing. I felt like, you know, in the right system, he could be absolutely special. And, and if given the, the, the proper supporting cast, where he's not asked to sort of carry everything on his back, then the ability is all there. So he's not a can't miss prospect, but I, there's there's so much to work with there. I just I wish he would have been a little cleaner this year, but at the same time, I'd be surprised if there wasn't strong support for him in the NFL. And you know, again, I've already talked to some people about him, but there are a lot of May supporters out there now. I mean, there are a lot of guys who feel like. You know, that the same people who nitpicked Justin Herbert's game in college are going to regret doing so with May. And again, you know, I mean, Herbert is what he is, but he's better than a lot of guys who've been drafted in that same range over the last 10, 15 years by a pretty good measure. So anybody who says that he hasn't panned out so far, I would I would vehemently push against that um, and say that he's been a victim of his circumstances. Now, May is kind of dealing with some of the same things Caleb is. Protection hasn't been there this year. Brand new play caller, some new skill guys. Um, Walker wasn't, you know, their most talented receiver wasn't eligible the first few games. So, you know, bad defense. It's There's, there's some stuff that's made him swim upstream too. He might be a little bit more of a safer pick in some regards, but I don't know that Williams doesn't you know, match or exceed his talent. So it's going to be a, a taster's choice, you know, like what do you, what do you value in a quarterback? What traits are most important to you? And, 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 you know, it's going to become a, an either or situation, much like Bryce versus CJ was, but at a lower level last year, I would say, because I, I didn't, I didn't sense that there was the same level of excitement for young and Stroud and Richardson as there could be, for for Williams and May at this point. Yeah, I'm in on either one of them. The Patriots can get either one of those guys after watching the past few years of Mac Jones. It's interesting, too, that the point you make about Mahomes with Caleb Williams, because I remember, I can't remember where the interview was, but Pat Mahomes is essentially asked, like, hey, how, why did you turn the ball over so much at Texas Tech and not in the NFL? He's like, well, it's a risk thing. Like, I had to make those throws because we had to put up, you know, 49, Absolutely. 50 points to win those games. And then he got to the Chiefs. It's like, oh, we can win this game 27 to 17 or 24 right. to 10. Like we, we can do it this way as well. And I'm not saying he had the best defense every year, but you get my overwhelming point there. But you made the yep. point on May. I know recently it hasn't been good. Three interceptions, three TDs in his past couple of games. But I mean, I did watch him light up my orange for 442 yards. So you actually think the gap is the gap closer between May and Williams than it is from May to the guys three, four, five, six on the list. Like, is Drake May, is there any way he gets out of the top three? Right now, the Patriots are sitting there with that third overall spot. So I think they're in right. range to get Drake Drake May as well. Like, I, I would love Caleb Williams, but I, 
I've been all in on Drake May as well. So you think there's a scenario where May turns out to be better than Caleb Williams? Like, is that a possibility? Sure. Absolutely. Right. For, for, you know, a lot of different reasons, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's, you know, I, I'll say this. And again, I mean, there, there could be some, some JJ McCarthy fans out there. Jaden Daniels has had a, a, a shockingly effective season. I mean, he took over some games when they absolutely needed him to, and he's a, he can, you know, scoop. He's an, he can move and throw too. I mean, like, you know, I mean, go watch the second half of the Missouri game. Go watch the second half of last week. I mean, he, you know, some of this was, I'm sure, Heisman chasing, right? But at the same time, the guy is getting it done. I, I've i always had an eye on him. I don't know what it is. But, yeah, those two guys may be a little bit farther back, but they could also move into the discussion at some point. We've seen crazier things happen. Like at this time of the 2019 cycle, I don't necessarily think Kyler Murray was – any consensus number one but apples and oranges this is different these two guys i think came into the year head and shoulders above others and i think they remain the the two most likely to be drafted high um but i don't know that there'll be a consensus i i believe there are people out there who like may's body of work better and also think he's just a little bit better of a physical specimen that may not matter as much these days but there's some decision makers who I think will bring that up more often than others so yeah I think we're just getting started on the evaluations and just getting you know kind of split hairs on on who could go where but at at three four five even six let's say they win a couple games down the stretch I still think they're well within range when you're desperate and you have a high pick go get it Carolina was at nine last year and they moved in. Not saying it worked out, but they were there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good point. And like from a Patriots perspective and all this, they've been trying to win. They just lose. So, hey, if you keep doing what you're doing, like Matt, and one of the things that I'm concerned about this weekend is the fact that Bill's had his two games against Herbert. He's been really good. Like he's yeah. for some re- like they confuse Herbert. Like Herbert has played some of his worst NFL games against yep. the Belichick defense. That's something that has me concerned. That's why I say, Hey, just start Mac. Mac's one of the wor- one of the best, I should say, tanking quarterbacks of all time. Go I mean, with what you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're on the doorstep last week to score. Mac comes up big for the future of the organization. Throws a pick. Like there's an argument that Mac's one of the most valuable players in the league because of what he's going to bring the Patriots in the future. This is second level stuff. He is right yeah. now. He's trying to get the. De- he's trying to get Caleb Williams and Drake May for the Patriots. So Mac's doing him a favor here, but. Before I let you go, Eric, we've seen like yeah. so many of these young receivers come into the NFL and they're immediate studs, right? Like you think about what A.J. Brown did, what Justin Jefferson did, right? And we're seeing it recently as well in terms of like Garrett Wilson is, is awesome, but of course he has to play with Zach Wilson. But you think across the league, like all these receivers going in the first round, a lot of them deliver. I mean, there's exceptions to the rule, but even like Zay Flowers is playing awesome for Baltimore yeah. this year. So Marvin Harrison Jr., it feels like without question, he's the number one receiver, even though it's a deep class, like you got Coleman at Florida State, like you got a deep class there. But some Patriots fans have the idea, like, is because the roster is not great, like they don't have a lot of blue chippers with the exception of Christian Gonzalez at the corner position, who unfortunately we barely got to see play. But there's like the 2020 guys that are decent, the Duggars, the Uches of the world, those guys aren't even signed after this year. So they could be gone Barmore has flashed a bit this season, but the pro- but the point being is there's not a ton of talent on this team. And is there an argument to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. 
and then maybe trade back into the first round and take one of the other guys, whether it's Daniels, Knicks, Panics, whoever, J.J. McCarthy, whoever they like. Like, is Marvin Harrison that good that you should consider doing that? Or do you need to draft Drake May or Caleb Williams if you're the Patriots because that's the most important position in sports? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a cost thing too, right? I mean, depending on where you pick, um, if you can stay where you are and take Harrison, who I've just really grown an affection for as, as a player. I mean, I, you know, if his name, his last name was Johnson, right. Had no relation to a hall of fame receiver. I would still love his game. I I've tried really hard not to, to think about it. They're totally different players, by the way. I mean, his dad was a kind of a shifty, uh, 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 I would say a finesse guy, if you will, but, uh, Harrison, obviously a bigger build. He's, he moves like a smaller guy, but, um, he's probably the best receiver prospect. Well, I'd have to think. Maybe I'm saying it incorrectly, but one of the, the cleaner prospects at that position we've seen in a while. And as you said, it's kind of the golden age of the wide receiver. Um, that said, I don't know that there's a massive difference between Roma Dunze or, or Malik Neighbors or, or Keon Coleman, as you mentioned. There's some good wide receivers. Uh, you know, like think about a kid like Egbuka, uh, uh, the his his teammate at Ohio State, who a lot of people felt like could be number two in this class. Like the second best receiver is the second best on Ohio State too. That didn't work out. He had an injury, you know, injuries this season wasn't the same player. But you know, you could maybe get that guy in round two now. I mean, that's because of all the the talent of that position. So I think you have to look at it two and three dimensionally and say if you can stay where you are and get him and that the price is too high to move up for a quarterback, or you already have a, a relatively, uh, you know, decent option that you get in free agency or via trade, you know, Kirk Cousins, a free agent, whatever. I mean, I don't know who that guy is, but then, then, then Harrison makes a lot of sense. You're not winning the Super Bowl next year. I'm sorry. The Patriots aren't, I can just say that right now with complete confidence. <laughs> right. But getting good players is never a bad thing. And he's, Probably right now, my number one prospect, regardless of position. And I would put the, you know, again, this is all hypothetical. Theoretically, he hasn't come out yet, but he's my favorite player that I've watched in college football. That's probably the best way I'll say that without getting in trouble. And, you know, that's that that counts for something. Yeah. What was Gus Johnson calling him? Maserati Marv the other day on the broadcast. <laughs> is, I don't know. Is that like his actual nickname or is that just what Gus Johnson calls him? I, I don't saw know, people but- <laughs> I saw people commenting on that, and I I didn't know the the backstory of it. And I think I only caught about the third or fourth reference, so it wasn't quite it didn't hit home quite for me the same way. But I think that was a new one. Yeah, it's definitely it's. I I feel like that's an interesting thing to think about, like getting the other quarterback, as you mentioned the value thing there too, getting the quarterback later and getting him. But the concern is like just don't overthink it. Like if you have Drake May and right. Caleb Williams sitting there for you, you got to draft one of those guys. All yep. right. That is Eric Edholm from NFL Media. Eric, enjoy the rest of the season. And then I know it's really your busy time as the NFL draft will be starting right after that. Yeah, it's coming, man. I'll be at the Senior Bowl before I know it and the Combine after that. But it's a fun time of year. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Great stuff there chatting with Eric Edholm as we get closer to the Patriots getting a new quarterback. Hopefully it's Caleb Williams or Drake May. But I did want to get into the Bruins a little bit here because the Bees now, they lost back-to-back games to the Red Wings and the Rangers. And that Rangers game was ugly on Saturday afternoon. But you say to yourself, okay, two playoff teams, even though it was really bad against New York, it's two playoff teams. But then Monday night comes around and you lose to the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Blue Jackets are in last place in the Metropolitan Division. They are a bad team. And notably in this game, this is why it was kind of interesting, the loss, is Jim Montgomery yanks Jeremy Swayman after the Bees went down 2 to nothing. And what this, what made this sort of even more bizarre is Olmark was not good in the previous game against the Rangers. Remember, Kreider and Vesey both scored rebound goals where they were juicy rebounds that Olmark gave up, right? So Olmark was not good in that game. And look, that game against the Rangers was certainly not all about Olmark. He was bad, but in totality, the Bruins are bad in that game. I'm not saying that Olmark was the sole reason you lost to the Rangers. The team was bad. They gave up 19 high danger chances on five on five against the Rangers. In that game, 3.3. One three expected goals against on five on five. And just to put that number into context, on the season, the Blackhawks are last in the NHL. 3.07 expected goals per 60. That's last. The Bruins were at 3.13 in that game against the New York Rangers. So the defensive effort was absolutely atrocious in that game, right? But in that, you just kind of add all those things up. So yeah, the Bruins were bad in general, but the point is, Olmark did not help in that game, right? It's not like, hey, we're playing really bad and our goalie kept in, it kept us in the game. That didn't happen. Olmark was bad in that game. As we mentioned, he gave up those juicy rebounds. So he was bad in Montgomery the following game. Decides on Monday night, let's go back to Olmark and sit down Swayman when you go down 2 to nothing to one of the worst teams at the NHL. Now, after the Rangers game on Saturday, Montgomery was asked how much of the loss was self-inflicted. He said it was about 90%. They played fast and we didn't. The only part of our game that I thought was good was our breakouts. The power play wasn't good. The penalty kill wasn't good. You're not going to win a lot of hockey games when that's the case. Totally agree with Jim Montgomery there. But the reason I bring up that quote is he's clearly looking for a spark there, right? This was almost out of the Bruce Cassidy playbook. Now, I would argue in his final year here, Cassidy went to that too many times where he basically called the team out after every game that they lost. And this was Jim Montgomery's version of this. Jim Montgomery does this way less frequently than Bruce Cassidy does, but he's rarely going to call the team out publicly. He did after that game on Saturday. So what he was trying to do there is he was trying to ignite his team, motivate his team. 
So his team does not respond to that to begin that game against the Blue Jackets on Monday night. After the Rangers lost, you come back, you get Columbus. They don't respond at all. So when you look at that game, the first goal that w- that Swayman gave up, the Voronkov goal, first of all, Forbert just completely lost a puck battle. But Swayman has to make that save, right? That was leaky. But Forbert needs to be better there. Swayman certainly has to make that save, especially considering the standard that he has given the Bruins so far this season. He has not been the same guy lately, but for the majority of the season, he's been one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. He's got to make that save. But then the Provorov goal, that was not on Swayman. He was screened. And even that, it was kind of a bizarre situation where Zaka breaks his stick and he goes to get a new stick when they're in the defensive end, which I thought was a weird decision by Zaka to make. And when he goes to the bench to get his stick, Pasta doesn't know that Zaka has done that. He thinks that Zaka is still on the ice. So he's pointing to Zaka behind him to basically pick up Provorov. Zaka's not there. So he goes in and it was a great screen. Swayman can't see anything and they score a goal there. So the second goal is certainly not on Swayman. The first one is on Swayman, but if Forbert doesn't lose that puck battle, he doesn't have to make that save to begin with, like that bad job on Forbert. So my point with this is, So Jim Montgomery after that, as we mentioned, brings in Olmark. His explanation, I just thought we had no life at this time in the game. I wanted to see a little bit of a change here. So that was the reasoning behind it. Okay, so I get it. Like the team has not been playing well. You tried to call them out publicly. That didn't work. So then your idea is, hey, let's take out the goaltender. And that to me, like the move in that game. And he was worked up. You could see him throughout that game on the bench. He was pissed off. And I totally understand why Montgomery was pissed off with the lack of effort. Heck, if you were watching that game on Monday night, you were pissed. Like, what is going on against the Blue Jackets? The Rangers, that was embarrassing. That's a team you should be measuring yourself up against as one of the better teams of the NHL, right? So that's embarrassing. This one's even more embarrassing. I totally understand that. But you're giving your team less of a chance to win, right? Like, his whole idea was, hey, this will set a spark on the team. Basically, the message is, hey, I'm taking out the best goaltender we have to send you guys a message to play harder, or to play better, so to speak. And that, to me, especially after the recent performance we saw from Olmark on Saturday, when Olmark was bad, I just felt like that was the wrong decision. Totally understand what he's trying to do. I just feel like th- that's not the time for it, right? And so if you just look at this, so first of all, I thought that was a bad decision by Montgomery. But if you look at the last five games for the Bruins, they have not been the same team that we saw for the majority of the season. The Bruins have basically been really bad defensively. It's not really... Now, Olmark, as we mentioned, and Swayman's play has dipped off a little bit as of late, but Olmark was not good against the Rangers on Saturday. We got to that. But the five-on-five play in their last five games, the Bruins have been outshot 131-105. to The shot four percentage, 44.5%. That's 28th in the NHL during that stretch. The previous 16 games, they were at 50.7%, which was 14th. So above average, right? And here's the big one. The five-on-five goals, they've given up 12 in their last five games. That's 31st in the NHL. Only the Blues have given up more. So the Bruins have been the second-worst team defensively on -on five-on-five over the last five games. Meanwhile, the first 16 games, they gave up only 20. That was the best in the NHL by five goals. So they've gotten away from their identity. Their identity, especially this year, is goaltending, and we're going to be one of the better defensive teams, if not the best defensive team in the NHL. We had this conversation with Razor. That's part of the reason you see a guy like Lindholm's numbers down. Now, part of it is he's not on the power play, but he's had to do a lot in the defensive end. I mean, even if you look at it, the 
time that he spends in the defensive end in terms of the faceoffs, it's 5% higher than it was last year. But you get my point with that. It's just they're going to have to be built around this defense. So the other thing I would mention is the defensive identity is not there right now. And even what Montgomery tried to do, it isn't inspiring the team, right? And by the way, like right after that, so he takes out Swayman. And first of all, at first, I don't know if you thought this. I didn't think initially like they pulled him for performance. I thought they pulled him because something was wrong with Swayman. And I'm like, oh, fuck, now you're really in trouble. I, I didn't think because he went back to the dressing room, it felt like. So I thought he was actually injured. But anyway, he decides to pull him as he said to try to basically, to paraphrase, he was trying to get the team motivated. The third goal that the Bruins give up was incredibly sloppy. Grizzly just loses the puck at the blue line, and it's a breakaway the other way, and Columbus scores, Chinnikov scores easily on Olmark. So this whole idea of, hey, let's try to motivate the team by putting in the new goaltender, it got sloppier for the Bruins after that. So this whole idea of sending a message to the team, hey, I'm punishing Swayman because of you guys, you can't really do that to a veteran team like this, right? Like, they're not going to respond to that. It's a weird tactic to me, and I'm not saying that there's any issues that the team has with Montgomery. We saw how much they took to Montgomery last year. I just felt like that was bizarre. You called them out publicly. That I appreciated. That I could totally comprehend and totally understand. It made sense to me. But this move that they decided to make or Montgomery decided to make on Monday, I thought that was a panic move. You're going to go through ruts throughout the season. This is they have not played well over their last five. But that to me just doesn't make sense. Let's put in the inferior goaltender this year to try to motivate the players. It just, I just didn't add up to me. Did he think guys were going to get pissed off and then they were going to win? I just thought that was an odd move to make at the time. But clearly what I will say is this team is in a funk right now. They should get back on track Thursday. They play the Sharks. Worst goal differential in the NHL. They've been outscored by 54 goals. 54 goals. But I will say this. I thought they were going to bounce back against the Blue Jackets and they had another poor performance. So yeah, I can say all this. Maybe they'll play poorly against San Jose. I can't imagine that's going to be the case. But the big thing to me is this. We ran through how bad they've been defensively lately. The Bruins, so if you look at it last year, right, they were an elite offensive team and they were elite defensive team. So offensively, they averaged 3.66 goals per game last year, second in the NHL. Only Edmonton was better. This year, that's down to 11th at 3.33. So they're above average. They're just not elite like they were a year ago, the best scoring team in the Eastern Conference. If you look at five on five last year, the goals per 60, they were second in the NHL at at 3.07. And if you look at the goals against per 60 last year, they were first at 1.75. So they were second in goals per 60 on five on five, and they were first in goals against on five on five. No other team, by the way, that 1.75 never, no other team was south of two. This year, the goals against per 60 is still good on five on five. 1.94 goals against that is fourth. Now, as we mentioned, that number is even inflated because as we said recently, they've given up 12 goals on five on five, right? So that number is even inflated by what we've seen lately. The goals per 60 is 2.85, which is still good seventh, but last year that number is at 3.07, right? So that's a big gap from where they were a season ago. So the reason I point that out is just the firepower is not where it was a season ago from an offensive perspective. So they have to be even better in their own end. And to their credit, for the first 16 games, they were an elite defensive team, but they have to get back to that. I don't think Montgomery went the right way about it to try to motivate his guys by benching the goaltender. I think you gave yourself a worse chance to win, which I I don't think that really helps the team. And I certainly don't think that it helped the team if you watch that game on Monday night, right? So 
And I do understand the desperation, right? Where he's saying, hey, I tried calling them out publicly. That didn't work. We know obviously saying stuff to them behind closed doors. Maybe this is the way to send a message. I just, I didn't agree with the move at the time. And I still think that it was a bad decision, right? But for me, if you look at it, it's when you're looking at the situation coming up now, I just feel like you have to look at the defensive end for this Bruins team. If they clean that up and they just get back to who they were the first 16 games of the season, they're still going to be great. We told you that the first stretch of the season where they were basically on pace with what they were last year from a record perspective after the first 13 games or so, it felt like, okay, yeah, that's probably not going to hold up because the schedule was a little bit easy to begin the season. But I still think this can get, this team is one of the better teams at the NHL. They're going to be in the playoffs. It's just they're going through a rut right now. And I just feel like what they just need to do is go out there and kick the Sharks ass on Thursday night, and then all will be forgiven. They'll be all good. I feel like what the coach is doing right now, it's a little bit too panicky. Don't pull the goalie when you're down 2 nothing, and he's your better goalie. So I just, I didn't really like what Montgomery did in that particular situation. I can understand why he tried to do it. I just thought it was the wrong tactic. All right, let's bring in Jamie McClellan because he watched the in-season tournament as well after we talk about the bees who aren't playing well right now regular season like we talk about the dog days right now in the nhl it feels like the bruins losing three consecutive games even though we're not at the portion of the season that you would call the dog days there's no dog days in the nba right now i don't know about you jamie you heard me earlier talking about how excited i was for the in-season tournament am i being too overreactionary or was that like an awesome regular season nba experience did you have as much fun as i did yeah, can't think of a day like that, frankly, when watching basketball in November. I, I was totally I was on my phone. I was texting you. I was looking at the score of the Nets game. I was trying to figure out what was going on with the Knicks, even though that was unlikely. So, yeah, it was a ton of fun. And um, I think on top of it just being fun, it was definitely fun because it was the first year it's happened. You know, it's kind of like they definitely got to figure out how to make things clear. But there was something exciting even within that, you know, it's just like not quite sure what was going on, you know. Well, and I thought like early on, I'm like, Okay, like the in-season tournament, like they played that first game and I'm like, okay, right. it just it it feels like weird court, not that ex- like just a normal game. And remember the first night we talked about this on the pod when in Denver they measured the three-point line right. wrong and you had um Grant Williams tell them like the three-point <laughs> line was off. I thought some of the courts were bad. I the Celtics is fine. I mean, you you love the parquet. The Celtics court is fine, but like the Bulls court was awful with all Raptors. the red yeah, Raptors the Raptors terrible. is terrible. So that sort of became the conversation. So the in-season tournament for us, I'm like, and I wasn't against it. I'm like, hey, you want to try to make the NBA regular season more interesting? Mm-hmm. All in. Like, do whatever you need to do. And so then we got to Friday. And this is when I started to first be like, oh, this is interesting because the Magic were going for it. Yeah. Right? And you're like, oh, this is why they still have their guys in. They're going for the point differential. And then if you watched any NBA games later on in the day, teams were, like Phoenix was doing it against Memphis. They were all trying to sort of get this point differential up. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Tuesday is going to be awesome. So the first two games of the tournament, I'm like, okay, like it's just, you know, I, I don't see the difference. And then once you got to Friday, I'm like, okay, this is the start of something. And then tonight, like those games, that was awesome. I mean, that was, that was incredibly entertaining. And like, you have to basically talk about it on the, like, um, Mike Gorman and Scal are talking about on the broadcast, like, hey, this is what the game's at right now. This is what this team is doing. So I thought that was awesome. I wonder, I certainly wasn't quite aware of what was going on against the Magic. Like they said, if the Celtics win, they win their group. And I was like, oh, okay. But I didn't know 
if they lose, like they might be out. Like it didn't seem like the stakes were quite there. And I wonder, like, is it possible the the players didn't quite understand that either? It seemed like everyone was caught off guard a little bit. I don't think the Celtics did as much right. as the Magic did because the Magic clearly did at the end of the game. They were trying to score as much as they could. It felt like the Celtics, in a way, yeah. sort of were like, "What the fuck?" Like they kind of threw up the white flag because mm-hmm. I, I assume they obviously knew if they win the game, they win the group. But then, like, they weren't factoring in the point right. differential thing. I don't think as much as the Magic were. And then today, they clearly were. They clearly wanted to make it in. I mean, look, I'm not telling you that for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and most of the guys on the team, like the Al Horfords, the Derek White, the Drew Holidays, those guys make a shit ton of money. So like half a million dollars is not a ton of money for those guys, but it's still half a million dollars. Also, it's half a million dollars for guys like Hauser, who I believe is still in the league minimum. I know Pritchard Mm -hmm. just signed an extension, but yeah, he'd sure take a half a million dollars. All these guys on minimums, the Brissettes, the Lamar Stevens of the world, the guys that don't play. And you can dish out that money if you want to your charity, or you can give it to guys like on the staff, right? The training staff, right? Or you can give it to like somebody else that works for the organization if you're one of these guys. And I do think like when there's this, it's the first one. So I think guys want to win it, right? Like I... I didn't know what to expect. Like, I didn't have high expectations for it. I was just kind of like, oh, okay. Like, I thought it was a fine idea. But now that I've seen it, I think it's awesome. Like, this is the crazy thing to me about this whole thing is the Celtics play the 76ers on Friday, which is a huge game. The Celtics and the 76ers have played a bunch in the playoffs. It's Embiid and Maxi against Tatum and all all the Celtics. Mm-hmm. Like, this has kind of been a rivalry that's been brewing. I mean, historically, obviously, it's a great rivalry, the Celtics and the 76ers but I'm more excited for the game against the Pacers because it's the yeah. in-season tournament. I never thought that would happen. Like, I'm more excited to see the Celtics. And look, Halliburton's a great player and all that. Like, I'm excited to see him. But I'm more fired up for that game than I am the 76ers. So I give Adam Silver and whoever came up with this idea a ton of credit. Like, it's going to be fun. I just hope, knock on wood, because you know what the narrative's going to be. Nobody gets hurt when the tournament yeah, eventually right. gets to Vegas, right? Because the rest of these games were going to be regular season games, right? It's just the extra if you get to the championship and the semifinals or whatever. But other than that, man, it, unless there is an injury and the point differential thing, I know a lot of people are in the league are upset about it. Like players, we heard Tate, Drew Holiday mentioned, like he kind of felt bad about it as yeah, well. I'll tell you this as a fan, I hope they keep this. Because that, like, seeing teams, like, up by 25, still going at it. Joe having that conversation with Billy Donovan was hilarious. Andre Drummond getting hacked. Nick Claxton getting hacked. Like, that was awesome. I I was excited. And, again, it was totally an exciting one a quarter when you're checking the other scores and stuff. I do think it's a little weird, this point differential thing, where it's supposed to make the games, like, the whole tournament is supposed to give you more competitive basketball in November. But it's like, is this more competitive basketball just like blowing out a shit team? I don't know. So, I mean, I think it's fun having this like down to the wire. You know, it's like the last week of the NFL season where you're seeing who's in and who's out kind of thing. So it'd be great to keep that same drama. But I I think, I don't know. And again, like you said, it's not an easy fix. Yeah, I understand your point about the point differential. Maybe it doesn't make for a competitive game because the Bulls are getting blown yeah. out. It does make for like a more exciting storyline because you're going to see your guys out there more. Right. And the other thing I'd say is the next the the knockout rounds going to be, be interesting. Yeah. Like the Celtics versus Indiana, and the other game is what the Bucks Knicks, the Bucks Knicks, and we're still as we're recording, we're still waiting for some of the other ones. But I believe the Lakers already clinched theirs. Yeah. Right. Even though they're not playing well, they're they're a phenomenal the in-season win, tournament I think team. The so, clinch. 
Suns at Lakers, which is awesome. Durant versus LeBron and Devin yeah. Booker. Like, that's awesome. And then the Pelicans are in. Are and they pl- <laughs> okay. Yeah, they play the Kings or the Warriors. The Rockets lost. Interesting. Yeah, the Rockets. So it's the Kings or the Warriors, as we're recording. When you listen to this, you'll find out. But if Golden State wins by 28 or more, it's Pelicans, Warriors. Anything else, it's Warriors at Pelicans. So it's I think just about the, who has the higher seed, I guess. So they're both already in. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how the way. Well, we'll figure out the West Either next way, time we record. You have LeBron in it. You have yeah. Durant in it. You have the Celtics, who have been one of the mainstays during the Final Four every year. You got Jason Tatum. Now you have this upstart team with Indiana with Tyrese Halliburton, mm-hmm. an emerging star that the league is going to want to have, like on that game, which is awesome. Like Halliburton going against the best team. And then like, the Knicks aren't super interesting, but they are the Knicks. They are New York. And you have Giannis and Damian yeah. Lillard in this. Like you have a ton of stars in this thing, which I think is awesome for the league. Yeah, I think the, the, the way it worked out that you could have the Bucks in the semifinals and then maybe even the Lakers in the finals. That's that's perfect. That's how you drew it up. And that's why I'm so glad they made it tonight. Like I would have been really yeah, bummed been out pissed. if they missed it. Well, I yeah. was kind of hinting at that on Sunday. I'm like, I had a, like when the whole point differential thing was starting on Friday, I'm like, yeah, like well, now that I see, like, I, I want them to get in, and now they're going to be in. Like, I, well, maybe I'm just selfish. I want them to win everything at this point. So I want them to win. Yeah. Like, I, I'm all in. I am all in on the end season. I want to go to, should we go to Vegas now? Should we just take the pod to <laughs> Vegas? Like, I'm in, man. They got to beat the Pacers first, but I'm yeah. in. Broadcast from the game, the, the championship game, the Celtics against whoever. Yeah, got to beat the Pacers. Like, yeah, this was a five-game series or a seven-game series the nba of course they don't have five-game series they used to when i was growing up those series were awesome you get more upsets that way i get why they don't like it's more about the money and the revenue at the gate but the point being is in a five or seven game series you would take the celtics in a one-off who knows they get up and down the court i think the celtics are they're going to be motivated like i think they win this thing relatively convincingly like maybe it's close in the first half but 29th ranked team in defense. The Celtics are not losing to them. Although they did lose to the 30th ranked team in defense, the Charlotte Hornets. So, <laughs> they're de- I mean, you can tell, though. I mean, they're more motivated for these games than just a normal game. Like, they were on tonight, and they haven't been on that much recently. You know what I mean? Yeah, the third quarter. They're like, let's go. <laughs> you, you said, yeah. Let's go. Let's wake up. So that was a lot of fun. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thanks, Brian. All right, we'll be back with you on Thursday. Michael Pina is going to join us. We'll get his take on the Celtics after... This 14-4 and four start to the season. Get a stake on the in-season tournament as well. Make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. You can email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Surdy for producing this podcast. And we'll talk to you on Thursday. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 
Visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.